Only those people. I want you to stand up right now. If you want to be born again, you want to ask Jesus in your life, that's you. With all eyes closed, all heads out. There's people standing all over the place. I'm going to ask you here in just a moment to make a decision that is going to affect the rest of your life. Do you have enough courage in this moment to say, I'm willing to make a decision for Jesus? I'm going to ask you to make your way out into those aisles and begin to come down here to the front as we sing this song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm asking you on the count of three, one. Only if you're serious and understand, though. Two. Let's do this thing together. Three. You've got two minutes. Get down here right now. Get down here right now. Get down here right now. Hurry. That might sound familiar. If you have been raised in the evangelical church or um, even attending a you know, traditional megachurch, that's a common thing that we would experience. Yeah, this week we are going to be looking at the altar call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not that it's a bad thing, uh, but we're going to be looking at how um, the evangelical world's focus on conversion mm-hmm. is actually a little bit different compared to a lot of the Christian world yeah. and their focus on discipleship. You're listening to Folk Theology, where we have conversations with the people of Soundhouse Church about the diversity of beliefs within the Christian faith and how they shape us today. We hope this podcast is fun and informative and a place to discuss topics that might not make it to the pulpit. So the pinnacle or crux of the Christian experience, as many of us would define it, is that conversion altar call Mm -hmm. moment, right? We don't even have altars anymore. I mean, I guess at Soundhouse, we had that projector screen (laughs) that was at the front of the stage for like... yes. It looked quite a bit like an altar. A year, yeah, (laughs) a crate that we were trying to get a screen installed. So we almost had an altar. People thought it was, but uh, but even without an altar, we still use that terminology of altar call, right? Yeah. It's this it's this calling, called to Jesus moment when you, when you first claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and that is for yeah. so many of us that's the pinnacle of the yeah. Christian church for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a pillar of the majority of evangelical churches. It's a it happens in almost every service usually. And, uh, you know, I I grew up in a church that was, you know, uh, set aside a good section of time for the altar call. Uh, and then I worked for a lot of churches, uh, mega churches that um, an altar call was a was a big part of the church experience. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there'd be people who'd say, listen, I can't tell you about Jesus. I'm not sure. I'm just learning. But like, you got to come in here and then um, and then respond to the altar call. Yeah. You know, uh, when I first became a Christian, I was I uh, it would have been hard to be my friend because I just. I, I just came from just a different life. And then I was so happy to like have found Christ that mm-hmm. I had brought my best friend to uh, a service. And I, I, I'm just really rough around the edges at that time, you know, and I didn't know church behavior very well. And so when they did the altar call, I thought, okay, well, 
I'll, if he goes forward, he'll become a Christian. So I literally drug my friend by the arm and tried to pull him <laughs> out of the aisle. We got in an argument. In and, the aisle? Yeah. And we got in an argument, and I was like, dude, you need this. And he was like, do not pull me down there. And I was yeah. like, dude, you need this. Like, just this is this is a big deal. Trust me. And we got in an argument. He didn't go forward. Mm-hmm. I sat down. Hurt our relationship a little bit. That's evangelism at its finest, right? <laughs> I just, in my head, at a young Christian, just thought, if I can get him to the altar, yeah, then he'll be able to, you know, and I didn't, I, I meant it in a very, like, true way of, like, he would be able to experience what I've experienced, because I knew yeah. him so well, and yeah. I knew where he was at in his yeah. life, and, but the altar, oh man, the altar, Chad. Yeah, a ton of reverence for it, and, and in so many ways, it's, it really is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh... I, I can think of, you know, one of the two dozen times I accepted Christ as a kid, you know? <laughs> wow. I j- you're always just thinking, hey, did I do it right? Did I yeah. say it right? Did I, whatever, you know, was my heart in the right place? Um, what's the damage in trying again? And, uh, you know, once again, that's just kind of based out of fear and insecurity. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, there every one of those times or whenever you see it in an individual, there is this, this beautiful moment of surrender, mm-hmm. right? And, and that is that that is beautiful. And that yeah. is to be celebrated. There is this... You know, um, putting down of your pride, putting down of your whatever, and, and, and just saying, I need Jesus. And that's, I think, the most beautiful piece about it is, is yeah. a, a physical way to say, I need Jesus. Yeah. And I, I think it's like we, there's not a believer out there that wouldn't just, just cheer in a sense of like, oh, wow, like spiritual life happened, a rebirth happened you know and it does it inspires us in that way so we've all experienced that and so i think that like when we when we see altar calls there's a joyous moment about it um and that we probably have all experienced or maybe been a part of one um yeah and you know that's a positive thing to look at and then i think it's also really helpful for us and just our view and um, even a practice of an altar call is to, it's important to know, like, kind of like, wait, where are they, where do they come from, you know? Yeah, and that's in line with with the main point of this podcast, mm-hmm. is identifying, recognizing mm-hmm. that the way that you do Christianity is not necessarily the way that everyone else does. Yeah. Now, yes, we all are worshiping the same Christ. Mm-hmm. Like, like, we're, you know, we're majoring on the majors, minor on the minors. Yeah. Um, but recognizing that, you know, a lot of the church does it differently and that's okay. But do you understand why it is you do it the way you do? And are you not threatened by other forms of Christianity? Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so let's, let's explore that a little bit. Let's explore this idea of the altar call, where it came from, its significance. Yeah. And, um, and then I definitely want to end a little bit on, on the danger or, or, or collateral, here's a better way to say it, the collateral damage mm-hmm. of maybe our overemphasis on the altar call moment. Correct. Yeah. So take yeah. us to the altar call real quick. Yeah. The altar call is interesting. It's only been around for 150 years. Even right there, right? Yeah. Like I, I can't think of the Christian experience without that conversion altar call moment. Yeah. So you saying that that public altar call moment is only 150 years old yeah. is... Is already makes me feel weird about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's a. And obviously, it, people were accepting Christ at the time at the time of Christ. You know, what I mean, there was correct. Yeah. So, what do you mean specifically by altar call? I would say the mechanism of the altar call. So that's it. It, it was. It started very small, and there's been a lot of there's there's someone 
uh, who I'll talk about in a second, who kind of took the altar call more main, a little bit more mainstream. But uh, a lot of people don't realize it. It started a little bit earlier than when you started to kind of see it coming up around revivals and things like that. Mm. Is it started in a very small Methodist church in Maryland, and it was kind of a unique story. And a guy who was there journaled about it. And he's, he described it, and I, I read his entire uh, uh, journal about the altar call experience that happened, and it started kind of like this. like There were people literally listening to the message and just hearing the words, obviously moved by the Holy Spirit, and were just crying and weeping. Uh, the pastor continued to preach. They weeped the whole way through, the guy saying in his journal. And then the pastor just said, you know, everybody else who isn't crying and weeping, feel free. You guys can, church is dismissed. And everybody left. And then the people who were crying and weeping, he invited them all to come up. And they sang psalms and prayed and prayed over them and prayed prayers. And then he noted that of all the people even weeping, it, 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 they, they, it, he said it was an awful sound. So there was a lot of like pain and anguish and obviously like movement happening. And they said, and three or four of them felt peace. Hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting old story. 17 was in 98. Um, and, but people started hearing about that experience hmm. and then um, like an, an emotional public conversion. Yeah. It was quite shocking. I think maybe it, just, we'll talk about other forms later, but mm -hmm. as opposed to what almost more of a, contemplative decision I, I i wouldn't even say that it it i think prior was um you were you know in your family and somebody brought sure. you you learned the, Born yeah the, the scriptures and the way and you kind of grew up in it and then there were others who were bringing them to churches to hear scriptures ask more questions and maybe have a conversation with the pastor i think this took note because it was it, it was a lot of people in 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 tears and in in, in emotional, and the pastor didn't know what to do with it, hmm. and then brought him down. And they continued that practice after that. Um, more and more people began to, you know, like um, cons like explore the invitation in a way. Um, what's most interesting is there's a guy who's a pastor, uh, previously a, an attorney. Um, uh, started something that began kind of like a movement and what happened is in traditional reformed churches methodist churches uh they they had a kind of a re, a wing of it a very far wing of it the revival wing of the movement or of, of the denominations and um what happened is charles finney um was kind of the beginner beginner of this ultra call movement that kind of made its way into the revival movement. So hmm. what happened was, is he kind of came to a, a conclusion himself and said that broke a little bit from the denomination and said that, you know what, like um, this is kind of a man decision in a way. Right. He said it's not that the Holy Spirit necessarily leads him, but he kind of took it upon himself in a lot of his writings, too. And, and there were critics who a human decision, you're saying. a human decision. And so he took it upon himself that this is a human decision. And it's 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 what's happening is an emotional thing. Hmm. Then my job is to do whatever it takes to get them down here to experience and uh, life with Christ. Um, the, I would say basically the bridge was their emotions and intellect and so so he's saying that now this is 
a piece of dualism, which we'll talk about in another episode. But mm-hmm. he's saying that the Holy Spirit inside, of, you know, is wanting to reach them. Mm-hmm. It is uh, impeded by their by their their flesh, by mm-hmm. their humanness. So he's mm-hmm. trying to remove obstacles to get them correct to surrender, essentially. Yeah. In his new measure theology, which he had developed and published, the 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 theology the, the idea was is that the Holy Spirit had actually nothing to do with the leading up into the need for Christ, but the Holy Spirit was there to meet them when they answered the call. So he felt mm-hmm. he took it upon himself to go. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get someone to the altar. So there's passion behind it, yeah. um, but we would disagree with at least that yeah we we tend to like um calvin from the reformed tradition his Mm -hmm. his uh take on prevenient grace which is that Mm -hmm. before before you are able to accept christ uh this holy spirit has been working on you to bring you there Mm -hmm. um which is beautiful when someone starts asking questions and starts getting close to that we're able to kind of say like God is already working on you. Yes. The fact that you're here right now is God working on you to bring you closer. But that wasn't the view uh, of, of Phineas at that time? Uh, of Finney. Yeah. Finney. So Charles Finney. And so what happened is, is he started with this very simple thing which is where the altar call will develop, at least the term, is that um, he put a bench, essentially a seat, up at the front of the church. And uh, they had two names for it. They called it the morning seat or the anxious bench. And Mm. so uh, what it was was for those who are just stirred by the message, feel like they got to come, you know, I've got to do this. And they're won over by that. They would then come forward and then plead or make their supplication to God, like, I need you. And then then they would pray. And he developed a prayer to lead them into, and essentially, um, and so that became like a kind of a practice, went and kind of exported to the revivals that started kind of making their way. In- Which leads to us today. I mean, mm-hmm. you just talk about he led them through a prayer. That mm-hmm. is the standard mm-hmm. for all evangelical churches in yes. America today. Yes. That, and, 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 but to the point of, that's all. That's what we think is Christian. Yes, and, and it developed. It was how it started in a way of like the 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 anxious seat. How it began, people would come forward. But what happened was, I think it was a, de- a development, a process to what we see now today. So when someone would come up there, they during the service would come up at any time during the service while he's speaking, which would be re- weird for me to think about now today. Me speaking or you speaking, um, and then but when someone came up. Uh, another person came up as like a counselor, just free out of their own will, saw how what anguish they were in and wanting like the change in their life would come up and they would have a dialogue the whole sermon. He eventually got annoyed by that and then moved them into another room called the invitation room and they would come forward and then go into the invitation room with a mentor. And so it kind of started that way. Um, and then you kind of see that revival started taking this on. More and more people were just like, uh, getting in, like seeing this and going, wow, there's quite a bit of result here um, of people coming to Christ. And so that's kind of how we start the modern day movement of that. It eventually went from the bench that they would put out. Um, and in the invitation room, it was full of benches. So they started filling them with benches. But it, but then... Lots of anxious people. <laughs> lots of anxious people. But then eventually uh, there was a lot of like altars where they would serve communion and um, uh, at churches. So they 
some churches didn't do that, but they started inviting them to the altar. Um, so it felt very normal. Like this is, this is a, um, you know, this is a kind of a holy moment with God. And so yes, salvation would be the same thing. And so then that's when the term altar call kind of became out of a mainstream. So it's when then it went to the revivals and then kind of began to work its way into the mainstream denominations of kind of what we've just come to know as altar calls. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you mentioned this came out of um, the, a Methodist church, and mm-hmm. it makes sense. I was, I was doing a little bit of research just into the evangelical uh, movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might call it a denomination, but really there's a lot of denominations in that. Mm-hmm. Um, Methodist, Baptist, whatever, tons of them. Ton, most of our American denominations, um, what we would call Protestants, people who are not Catholic for the most part, we would consider um, evangelicals. Mm-hmm. And I was looking up, and um, it, came, it came out of what's called the the Great Awakening Movement uh, mm-hmm. with John Wesley and yeah. some other, and John Wesley guys who started Methodist Church. Um, but it's really built on poor, four pillars, four, four tenets. And the first one, and the biggest one, is, um, I want to say conservation, but that's not right, con... con- Conversionism, there it is. I want to say conservationism. Con- conversionism, mm-hmm. um, and that is is this emphasis placed on the conversion of an individual in a single definable moment, mm-hmm. um, not this person becoming the way of Jesus over time, but this person choosing to surrender and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior yeah. right here, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's interesting because I was, I was reading that, and my first thought was, well, that's not evangelical. That's just Christian. Yeah. That's what all Christian. But then it hit me. That's what this whole podcast is about, folk theology, is recognizing, no, the way that I do Christianity is not necessarily the way that the world is Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily the way that is correct or wrong, whatever. It's mm-hmm. just that it's just it's a different way of doing it. Yeah. And so it's important just to acknowledge that and uh, allow us to explore maybe how other people do it mm-hmm. and um, maybe the strengths and weaknesses of of the way we do it with yeah. with conversion. Um, and usually that conversion taking place during a church service, very mm-hmm. public, very emotional, that yes. altar call experience. Yeah. And Chad, um, you know, even the emotional experience that, that um, you know, it was, you know, it started even just the altar call, it started to become kind of like, you know, conversion was like a part of the regular service. We can even just kind of talk about just conversion in general. Um, and then there were people who said, you know what, like it, 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 even to like make the experience even kind of more of like just this heart head connection. Um, the first person to really implement then music during the altar call was D.L. Moody, right? Mm. Um, and then so you kind of see then that's kind of making its way. So it kind of starts somewhere. People kind of see it and go, I really, th- I like that. And then it kind of makes its way into different denominations. And you see a lot of different like additions to the altar call. Which makes sense because Phineas, mm-hmm. uh, fin- Phineas. Uh, oh, Finney. Finney. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a Harry Potter name when you say it. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Um, no, but, uh, oh, man, Finney. Okay, so when Finney uh, made the, the claim that, that this conversion moment is mm-hmm. just about removing the hindrances of the flesh, essentially. Correct. Well, then, yeah, use every tactic you got. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. If it's just about I need to persuade them so the spiritual transaction can take place, mm-hmm. Uh, for the sake of saving their soul, then remove every obstacle you have. And any yeah. of us know the emotional 
power that music has. Correct. You know, when you're yeah. just when you when you turn on the radio and you're driving and you're just feeling down and then you're realizing you're you're just listening to a, a ballad, mm-hmm. you know, and then mm-hmm. also you change the radio station and you're feeling up because you're listening to you know Pharrell or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, but but music has a great a power over our emotions. Yeah, it does. Uh, and then now today is lighting. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. A- and. Um, yeah, just all these things that can kind of capture our emotions, even though they're yeah. not really anything of of spiritual value. Yeah, and and when I look back, it doesn't take away, you know, even just I think Finney's belief on the separation there of like I I'm actually just dealing with flesh here. Mm. I'm convincing flesh, and um, took it upon himself as as a preacher to do that. Um, so it's it's nothing to take away from what we see as a practice today, but it is interesting to know probably why we you see the lights, the smoke, the you know what I mean you yeah. see all of these things um, that it, it it kind of evolved out of that practice in a way, and nothing against an altar call course or or conversion. But no, we're not trashing him. At the end of the day, no. this is a person who is 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 accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior and surrendering yes. their life to him. That, that, that's absolutely what we are all called to do in the Great Commission. Probably one of the things I think it's good for myself or you, Chad, or anybody who's in leadership in a way teaching to know, though, that an altar call is is not. We're not dealing with a a, a, a transaction of just someone's humanity, though. We know that the Holy Spirit is at work mm. long before that person has ever even come into that church in that moment. And it's a responsibility we have. And at Soundhouse, we just do. We, we take that seriously. Mm-hmm. And we yeah, know. At the same time, we, we don't want to manipulate. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we caution ourselves, you and I both on that. Yeah. We warn each other like, oh, does that seem like it's crossing a line? We have to be aware of that. And that's a good thing to do. And, and every yeah. church should, I would think, would be important to do. But yes, I mean, Chad, before I became a believer, like God like worked on me for a year. Mm. I was in and out, touch and go of like, I don't know if I want to do this Christian thing. I don't know. Yeah. But then I just felt drawn back and forth and back and forth until the moment when I was in my room and prayed by myself. So your conversion moment wasn't actually at an altar call. Wasn't this, this big emotional public thing? No, it wasn't. It was in my room and I finally just, I I don't know. I was just like, God, all right, I got it. I get it. I'm, I'm done with what I've been doing. I'm ready. Right. Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Glad you brought that up. Let me me think of a conversation that you and I had with someone in our church at Hoff's hut. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say it was, it was like just before coronavirus was really starting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because we were indoors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember those days? <laughs> oh, I do. It was great. <laughs> but you and I sat down with a guy who we know to be a disciple of Jesus. Yes. And when I say that, I mean that he is seeking to live his life according to the way of Christ. Not perfect. Yeah. But he is seeking to do so. Yes. He's a student of the way of Jesus. But he brought forward a very common thing that we've heard as pastors is people saying, I never had this big emotional conversion moment. Yeah. Am I actually saved? Yeah. Because they see that in others. They might see the altar call experience going on for someone else of someone is just anxious, you might say, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in tears and this is big emotional surrender, 
moment and they say, wow, that, that, that looks so uh, devastating to who they are. It yeah. looks so, uh, so transformative. That's such a significant experience. I never had that. I made yeah. that decision, uh, made a commitment to the way of Christ a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Am I missing out on something? And I think that tiptoes into the biggest, as I said before, collateral damage yeah. of a uh, conversionism culture, mm-hmm. of an altar call focused culture, yeah. um, is the the how do I say this? The, the devaluation of people who didn't have that experience, yeah, because it feels like they're missing out on something. Mm-hmm. We were even talking about. Um, how much this is a metric that churches today, evangelical mm-hmm. churches, mm-hmm. use for standards of success. Yeah. Right? They will share how many people did we have come down to the altar in mm-hmm. this big emotional moment mm-hmm. uh, because you can't track how many people have made the decision at home that they are going to become disciples of Jesus. Yeah. You can't track that. No. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. It is If you look at the, the Catholic Church, they have a different metric, right? Mm-hmm. Their big celebration moment is what? Uh, oh, wow. Confirmation. Confirmation, mm-hmm. right? Their big celebration moment of an individual mm-hmm. is confirmation, right? They're baptized in infants, yeah. but then they go through catechism, yep. and then it's it, this confirmation is that we're confirming that you are walking in the way of Christ. Now, anyone mm-hmm. who's actually been through catechism Probably yeah. knows it to be less. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> less excited. Did you actually go through catechism? Uh, part of the way. Part we of the way. bailed halfway. Okay. We converted to Protestantism. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I still haven't met someone who had a really positive experience in catechism. Um, but, uh, or maybe I'm sure there's tons of people who are confirmed who mm-hmm. don't actually believe that that Jesus yeah. is, is Lord. Yeah. But I think it's really interesting is is that emphasis difference is are we celebrating someone starting their relationship with Jesus or are we celebrating someone actively being a disciple of yeah. Jesus? Yes. Take the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28 says, mm-hmm. go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah. Not go get signatures. Yeah. Right? <laughs> not go get people to sign up and not give them any instruction on, on how to live. Um, take his disciples. He didn't say, you know, sign on the line. Hey, say I'm this guy. He says, come follow me. Yeah. Learn to become me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, that story you brought up with the guy in Hoff's hut, you and I both looked at each other first. Like, is this guy crazy? Like we'd see his life. And it it was um, when when it was like I want I should I've had a big story and then we would say that that the testimony and the bit greater the testimony the bigger conversion essentially which somehow that kind of got into the language in of uh, conversion and it was interesting because we're going wow like I, I would love to model parts of my faith after what you have clearly been a follower of Christ in. Mm-hmm. And it's just some of those things get overlooked, I think, sometimes. Now, um, to go back to Finney, hmm. so he had all these great revivals all throughout like parts of the United States. And when he came back years and years and years later, uh, he wrote about this, how saddened he was that he tried to gather people together to um, have a kind of like a revival or kind of check in in a way 
and found that there were barely anyone mm. who continued to walk out their faith. That is convicting. Yeah. And that's revelatory to, I think, what we often do see in mm-hmm. mega churches, but even mm-hmm. religi- in evangelical mm-hmm. churches today is yeah. when the emphasis is all about, can we build an emotional church service with mm-hmm. the right lights, the right music, uh, pastor tell that story that just mm-hmm. really gets everyone's heartstrings tugged. Can we do that to get them to sign on the line at the end? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we make that the goal, mm-hmm. um, Okay, you can accomplish that goal, but are they actually growing yeah. closer to Christ? How, Ryan, what's your experience? You, you've seen a lot of, um, a lot more of the church world than yeah. I have. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what would you say is your experience on that that imbalance between the the weight on conversion versus the weight on discipleship, becoming like Jesus? Yeah, you know, the you, you can tell where the emphasis is at in. I think ultimately either the pastor or the board or the leadership because the church service, the programs, the, um, that you can see kind of like the uh, pillars of like how you grow spiritually at that church. Um, you can see how the, the mentality is there on what you measure success as in, in, in those churches. So yes, I have been a part of churches where the emphasis was numbers of salvation Mm. and they always had a hard time getting discipleship off the ground. And, um, and so, but the numbers were very big. So even at weekly reportings, numbers of salvation from every single department and every single wing needed to be counted, needed to be calculated. And (sighs) oddly, it also would then sometimes as you at your department determine your budget. I was just going to say, yeah, I was just going to say how, how much money follows it. Yeah. Cause also evangelism is so much easier to buy. I mean, in my youth ministry days, mm-hmm. right down in, in San Diego, um, I wanted to do a big outreach. I brought in 15 tons of snow. Mm-hmm. I found a company that bring that like comes and like they grind up ice and they make <laughs> snow. Yeah. And our youth group of like 20 at the time had mm-hmm. like over 150 kids. Yeah. So awesome numerically. Yeah. Um, but actually that's a lot easier to make an order for snow than it is to figure out how do I inspire yeah. and develop this teenager so that they begin to look more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's harder to do. It is. Um, we forget, and I think you and I have discussed this before, that like, a lot of the cities that we see now, especially throughout the United States, Europe, um, it's it, it's odd because when you get to the middle of the city, the center of the city, there's a church. Hmm. And the city is a, built essentially around the church. And um, I think we have sometimes lose sight of that is that the um, the community itself is what will reach the community or the people will reach the people. And um, so when I look at like the investment in developing disciples, I always tell mm. people this. We may be a church of like a couple hundred people, but equipped to be ambassadors for Christ and gospel centered, essentially evangelists, uh, as far as like conversion, Mm. um, we might be more impactful than a 10,000 person church. 
that's an interesting thought when it comes to evangelism, Mm -hmm. because if the emphasis of the entire ministry of a church is that conversion moment, the Mm -hmm. altar call moment, Mm -hmm. well, me as some individual, I can't, uh, I can't set up that worship and lighting and whatever for my next door neighbor. Yeah. So the best I can do is try and get them to my church yeah to give them that emotional experience and yeah you could not match the level of production uh, the, the pitch i mean everything <laughs> no. you name it you know i uh, can't uh, sing like jess <laughs> i try yeah. um and 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 you know and so i think a lot of people feel intimidated like oh wait i you know i could probably share jesus with you i could probably talk about christ with you but man if you heard it here yeah man you might you might experience like what, what what I would hope for you versus if what we define as as uh, more of success mm-hmm. rather than quantitative is mm-hmm. qualitative yeah if, if we define it as lives being transformed mm-hmm. into the way of Jesus mm-hmm. and this this guy who we did breakfast at Haas Hut with mm-hmm. we have known him for a couple of years mm-hmm. and and we have seen change in his life oh uh, yeah now to us that's the greatest witness yes. more than some um, emotional closing reflection song is a transformed life. Yeah. And, uh, and that, guess what? That transformed life is transformed to his next door neighbor, mm-hmm. transformed to his family. Absolutely. And in that way, that evangelism happens. You know, we, we have, there's a few really important passages that we have to hold, kind of hold both. You have Acts 2, where Peter makes the great invitation to the 3,000. And so I think that's a, a, a big, like, a mentality of, like, um, of, of the push for mass conversions, right? Mm. And and you hear it often talked about, too. And I think it's an amazing thing that happens, right? He's filled with the Spirit. He preaches the gospel. And he he ends with, and by the way, you killed this Jesus, right? <laughs> what a way to end mm. the sermon. Yeah. And it says the people were cut to the heart and said, what do we do? And he says, you know, you need to repent and, 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 and follow Christ. All right. We stop there usually, but the very next, uh, statement, which is this is the, the next chapter says, and they devoted themselves mm. to the dece- teachings of the disciples daily yeah right and so there was there's that discipleship piece based on the conviction that the holy spirit moved in their heart based on the words scripture peter was quoting and it it and that's what god does with the word it's alive it's active and he illuminates that in the heart of a person but discipleship is was honestly the rest of the story was the the apostles discipling these people that's the the rest of the story chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter gosh and it's so much more difficult to do that especially at a corporate level i mean Mm -hmm. if you could pretty much throw a dart at any larger evangelical church in america Mm -hmm. and they have a good tested plan of getting people to the altar yeah but um it's rare to find a church that does discipleship well it is and i think a lot of churches especially I would say even Western churches or maybe even more specifically American churches um, have have struggled with that in a way. And I could. And for non-Western, I don't think catechism is necessarily the right answer. No, I don't think class is necessarily the best format. No, but there is there is something about like knowing the truth, like hearing the word, like the Bible says, like faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. Right. And so there is a sense of like there's more at work than our emotions. Right. Mm. We know that there's a kind of a pre discipleship or teaching or um, a a hearing of the word that happens before anyone even gives their life to Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think that to hold in the other hand. So we have Peter's sermon, Acts chapter two, one and two. And then we have James, which says, listen, like, and he's talking about like faith and works, right? But he does say something important that like faith is kind of null and void without works. Mm. And and it freaks people out. Yeah, without without the transformed life that follows it. Correct. And this is what we're trying to tell our friend at Hoff's Hut, that mm, it, your actions are informing me of your faith. Yeah. And and your faith isn't because of your actions, but your actions are being informed by your faith. Yeah. You know, we weren't planning on going here, but but I think it's it's probably the best way to close mm-hmm. is by talking, introducing a word called sanctification. Yeah. Okay. So Christian theology holds, and this isn't full Christian theology. This mm-hmm. is mainstream Christian theology yeah. holds that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that yeah. the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Now, the Holy Spirit can do uh, many things. You may have heard of things like the spiritual gifts, yeah. and hey, that's great. We should do an episode on that. Mm-hmm. However, the primary, the absolute primary task of the Holy Spirit is this word called sanctification, mm-hmm. sanctifying you, essentially making you holy. Yeah. Now, that seems intimidating. Mm-hmm. A better way to say it <laughs> is making your heart look more and more like the heart of Jesus that we find in the Gospels, yes. that you more naturally love, that you more naturally uh, uh, care and have compassion, that you more naturally uh, worship God. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether someone walked down an aisle and said uh, some words that someone else said, yeah, that's great. Uh, but I think what's more significant is do we see evidence mm-hmm. of a life transformed? And mm-hmm. I know day to day that's really hard to see. So I know for yeah. myself, I always use a metric of five years or 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take a given situation and I'll say, um, how would I have handled that five or 10 years ago? Yeah. I know for me, like the biggest two things I feel like I'm always working on is patience and humility. Yeah, Those are the easiest for me to see because they're the things that I'm worst at. Mm-hmm. And I'll look back at a situation that I just went through and I, and I, sometimes I can acknowledge, you know what, five years ago, I think I would have handled that differently. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I, I would have been able to have, have patience in that moment. Yeah. Um, I hope that Sarah, I hope that my friends, I hope that, you know, you Ryan also as one of my friends oh, yay. <laughs> can see that as well. That yeah. five, 10 years down the road, gosh, the church is seven years old. I know. That's crazy. So, okay. From since our first year till now that yeah. you can see spiritual health and growth yeah. so you can see uh, a little more patience and yeah. uh, a little more humility. And we're not just seeing Chad getting more mature. We're seeing Chad growing spiritually more mature and that, growing in those areas. That my heart is beginning to look more, yeah. a little more and a little more like Jesus yeah. year after year. So you can give yourself that metric, mm-hmm. right? Take five years ago, take 10 years ago. Would you have responded differently to this? Mm-hmm. When you see pain in the world, would you have responded with less compassion? Would you, you know, yeah. but that evidence of your sanctification happening, that is key. Yeah. Uh, you could have walked down an aisle 20 years ago, but if your life has never changed, I don't know how much merit I put in that experience. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the thing is, is that the, the, the altar call and we at Soundhouse, 
and I know many people within our church who responded to an altar call. And I would never judge their salvation, but I would say it's important for someone else to do that. So like, let's say this, I had, I just said, man, I got to go down forward. The pastor's calling me down. Um, I don't want to go to hell. I got to go down forward. And this sounds right. And even if I just go, you know what? I made a one-time faith deal and I'm good. But we are walking out, working out our salvation daily, growing. And I think it's a challenge to anybody who would say, I'm good. I don't need to go to church anymore. I'm a Christian. I'm good. I'll go go to heaven. I think we might have missed a very big point here is that that experience of people who I myself have know walked down that aisle and met Christ, but the life that they that they, they, they live post that walking down to the altar decision is amazing and mm. they're following Christ and their grow their growth is incredible and I see that as like wow like that was in, in, an amazing experience at the altar and I see people who have had them privately yeah. and, and, and experience the same thing so I think you know why we picked this topic to talk about is it's something that's pretty mainstream we would all know this this topic of the conversion and also um, and also the importance of discipleship and knowing that where, where does this church practice we do come from? Um, and what's a little bit of the collateral damage when it is correct. the only focus? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and we at Soundhouse will always do, you know, some form of altar call we at do different times. Yeah. We do invitations because, mm-hmm. hey, go make disciples of the world. Well, what's the first step in becoming a disciple is, you know, becoming a follower, yeah. a- accepting Jesus. Absolutely. Um, you had to first start following Jesus before you could become like him. And, yeah. And so this is the invitation. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also a little bit of a, a gut check for all of us is are we looking past that moment? Mm-hmm. Are we looking past that experience, that decision to see if life transformation is happening? Yeah. And are we creating that standard for ourselves? Hey, I signed on the line. I checked the box. I'm good. Yeah, I'll come once a month or whatever. <laughs> I'll see you at Easter. <laughs> yeah. Or is it, yeah, I made that commitment. Yeah. And so now I am setting out on this journey of yeah. becoming more and more like Jesus yeah. every day. The work is not done. The work is just beginning. Correct. Yeah. The, 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 the spiritual transaction that happened, um, at, at our conversion, the rebirth was the impossible act that happened. Mm. The invitation that we now have from there is, um, it, it really is a, it's a, a, a will, a motion, uh, it, uh, partnered with the Holy Spirit to grow in advance every single day and that is a lot of our heavy lifting to trust the spirit and growth and advancing that way yes and and, you know one of the last things is uh man that that to me shows the the beauty and the need for community because if it's just hey did we get everyone to sign greenpeace is doing a pretty good job of that in front of grocery stores (laughs) right Yes. But if if I view that I am on this journey, mm-hmm. uh, this journey that can be confusing, this journey that can be difficult, this journey mm-hmm. that has lots of decisions, I value then the fact that I live in community because, yeah. uh, okay, I mentioned I'm trying to grow in patience and humility. Yeah. Who do I know that is patient and humble? Absolutely. Begin to look at them, begin to watch them, mm-hmm. interact with them, see how they handle this stuff. Mm-hmm. Ask them to go out to coffee, sit down with them, and, you know, and ask them how they you know, develop their character. Yeah. But when you live in community, you're surrounded by other people who are on that same journey, uh, other pilgrims, you could say. Yeah. 
And um, that is so much more valuable. We need that. Yeah, it is. It's important. And so, you know, I'm glad we could talk about this topic today, Chad. I think um, hopefully for some people listening, you know, maybe just get a little bit more of a historical understanding of the altar call Mm -hmm. uh, an appreciation for what can happen there, but also a caution on like Mm. um, things that that where it can be mishandled and misused, leaning too much into the emotion and less on uh, um, what the Holy Spirit is doing. And that and that is a balancing act. Less on the transformation. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely the emphasis on discipleship. So, yeah, it's great that you brought that up. So, yeah, great. Topic. Very cool. Well, yeah, we're going to go into some other topics. Um, actually, we got a, a couple more controversial, mm. provocative Uh-oh. topics up Uh-oh. on the lineup. Uh, we kind of wanted to, you know, I figure anyone who looks at the podcast is going to listen to the intro episode and and listen to episode one. <laughs> so I didn't want to start on something too crazy. You know, I yeah. want to start on something that's uh, you know, interesting yeah. uh, that we can all relate to. Um, but maybe wouldn't result in too many angry emails right away. <laughs> we'll get to those. We'll get to those soon. But Soundhouse Church, uh, it is is so good to uh, connect with you in this way. Yes. We, we love you. We miss you. We will see you soon. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you.